stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach, senior strategist and the host of Mind Over Money podcast, Kevin Cook, to discuss a very important investing topic, how to pick stocks. It's just the basics. We're going for the basics today. So Kevin has already told me before we came on that he has a 10-point checklist for stock buying, but he wouldn't tell me anything of what it was. So we're all about to find out, and that sounds pretty intriguing. Um, Kevin, I know you run several model portfolios here at Zach's, as do I. So we're always picking stocks and all of that. So it's nice to share some information with everybody out there about what it is we look for and our procedures and things like that. Yeah, it's fun to talk about. Obviously, we talk about it with our subscribers all the time. Yeah. You know, we're explaining our rationale, our method, our process. Uh, so to share it with your audience, I thought it would be kind of cool because you just did yeah. an episode on when to sell. Yeah. Right. So this is like the opposite. Yeah. What to buy. Yeah. And how to do it. And I do get this question all the time on on Twitter and stock twits, you know, but people will ask me about a specific stock a lot of times, but like, oh, should I buy this? Should I buy that? And I know they're just kind of feeling around like, what should I own in my portfolio um, and how do I decide what to buy? So these are questions that are kind of universal for all investors. And then even here at Zach's, we cover over 4,400 stocks just with the rank alone. So when you think about that number, you get a little overwhelmed. Like, how yeah. do I know out of those stocks which ones to buy either? Yeah. So so let's get right into it. All right. Because it sounds long with your 10-point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go through some really quick. Okay. And others will take more time. Okay. So you want me to dive in? Yeah. All right. This is Cooker's process here. I think you guys are getting a real bargain from, from Tracy <laughs> bringing me in to discuss this. But yeah. it's, it's fun for me. Um, and I'm going to present these these 10 things in a certain order but also know that this is this is my forest for the trees where I, where I jump around too. So it's it, it is quantitative, but there's also an art to it yeah. um, that I apply. So I, I would invite anyone to come and join us here at Zach's. You know, take a free trial and learn how I actually do it. But here now, I'm going to give you the goods. So the first thing you need to know is that Zach's is a quantitative model. That's right. And we have a lot of resources on our website for doing quantitative screening. Yeah. Um, so people you, don't realize. Yeah. So whether it's uh, you know a Zach's Premium membership or you want to advance up to Research Wizard, you can have a lot of number crunching tools yeah. to take those this universe of four thousand stocks and filter it down. But I'll tell you what I do here. So this is my mental screen. The first thing I do is I ask myself, what sector do I want to be in? And I tend to gravitate towards two sectors in 80% of my stock picks, and those are technology and healthcare. Okay. And why? Because that's where the growth is. There's so many companies doing so many exciting things in technology and in healthcare. Um, and this growth is directly tied to consumers globally. So there's no shortage of opportunities in technology and healthcare. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that I always have to pick stocks from there because I don't, but, um, and you may, and somebody may, quantitatively say, well, I just want to look for companies that are growing sales at 20% and I don't care what sector they're in. Right. That's fine too. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I do. I, you know, I go where the, where there's so much fruit may not all be low hanging fruit, yeah. but once I dive into it, my process tells me what's low hanging. So that's number one. Number two is the Zach's rank. 
That's our, you know, that's our bread and butter here. The Zach's rank is it, it just narrows things down. It takes the whole universe of stocks and filters out where have the earnings estimates re- gone up recently? Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. that's what the Zach's rank does. It's a short-term model. The third thing, then I start to really dive into the growth metrics versus the valuation. And this is where some of our screening tools on Zacks.com come in real handy because then I can say, I can look at a given sector or industry and let's say I want to see where do, where do I have 20% sales growth year over year? Where do I have 25% EPS growth? Um, and then what am I paying for that? What's the valuation? So I can yeah. start to do, I can balance out the growth metrics versus the valuation with screening tools. Um, if, it, if something like that is not my lead trigger, it, it might just be a supporting rationale. Okay. Right? Okay. So, you know, picture that uh, you've probably heard me use the word screen about 10 times so far since I started yeah. talking. And for, for investors or listeners who aren't familiar, you know, that's what we do in investing is we're taking, we're looking at 4,000 stocks and we say, how do I filter this down? So you think right. of a screen or a filter or a funnel where I want to only let certain things through. And, and if you do it right, maybe you get down to a list of 100 stocks or maybe even 20 stocks that meet your criteria, you know, and then it's manageable. What does that mean if I'm screening for growth versus valuation, though? So to me, um, first, I might just uh, screen for my growth metrics. Like, okay. let's say I want, let, let's say I want, I want to see all the companies in semiconductors that are growing sales and earnings at 20% each. Okay. And I might not do a valuation thing first. I just want to see all the growth. Yeah. And then if that list comes down to less than 20 stocks, then it's easy for, for me to yeah. just glance and see, oh, hey, there's a PE that's you know under 10, and there's one that's over 50, you know? Yeah. I might go for the better valuation there. Okay. All right. Number four, I look at the industry and the peers. Um, just, a, just a glance. It's, it's not a strict criteria, but I want to see, you know, who else, who are they competing against? Um, you know, what's the industry like? You know, so I can answer the question, is this the droid I'm looking for? Yeah. yeah. All right. Number five, this is my big question, which is, which brings in the art and the qualitative aspect as opposed to the quantitative aspect. And that is, is this a franchise? And by that, I mean, is this a unique business that will, is just going to continue to keep growing despite the competition because they're doing something so well, so unique in such a um, a large market, and yeah. and analysts uh, often talk about the TAM, and the TAM is the total addressable market. You know how big is the market for um, a certain kind of semiconductor chip or a certain kind of uh, medical device? So those are big questions, and I'll tell you two com- two companies right away that have been franchises. Just that that's what I've identified them for. And that would be Align Technology. Okay. A L G N. They make the Invisalign teeth straighteners. They make better right. smiles, and they're doing that. You know, they've they crossed over uh, a million teens last year have Invisalign dental straighteners, and okay. uh, and they're growing at thirty five percent internationally as they go into China and India. Uh, just there's there is competition, but Invisalign is the brand, and they're just doing it so well. Okay. Um, and then Alibaba would be the other one, B-A-B-A. 
Alibaba is like the Amazon of China. Yeah. I mean, it is the Amazon of China, and and it's it's technically retail, but it's also technology, just like Amazon is. Right. You know, well, I'm, they have the Alipay. Yeah. And things. Like yeah, that. they have financial services, yeah. and so those are a couple examples of what I call franchise businesses. Now. Another way of talking about that, you may have heard uh, the concept of the moat, right? Right. <laughs> the moat is, hey, a business that is uh, so good at what they do and has clobbered the competition and just has steady, loyal customers right. that- No you, one yeah, competes. Yeah, you can't- You, you can't penetrate in exactly. there either. Yeah. Now, I, I don't, I mean, moat is fine if you want to use that term. I don't really care I because to me, no company is- is impenetrable, right. right? You know, somebody can always... And, and some companies that you always thought had moats now are having issues right. <laughs> because just because tastes change or something. Yeah. I think even like Coca-Cola had to go out and buy all these healthy drink brands because suddenly not as many people were drinking their main product. Or you've got a great example recently, Pfizer, right? Yeah. Pfizer, the stock has done nothing in 15 years. Right. Because there's so much competition. Yeah. You know? It's like ever since we cracked the code of the genome, right. you know, biotechnology, there's a thousand companies competing yeah. with fresh new science. Right. And they haven't found another Viagra yet. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> that used to be their moat. <laughs> All right. Uh, number six, uh, analyst research reports. Um, you know, the Zach's rank is built on the analysts raising, raising or lowering earnings estimates Right. Um, which is, you know, like the single quantitative metric that uh, that Lenzax came up with, you know, over 30 years ago. But I also want to read their research reports, too. What do the analysts think? You know, what what is it? What is their qualitative analysis? What is their analysis of the industry, of the peers? Do they think it's a franchise? Um, that kind of thing. Now, that's a little harder for the average investor to get. Yeah. Though. The thing is, but is, there's some that are are made public. Yeah. You'd be you'd be amazed at how much if you just search on the Internet. Yeah. Um, you know, analysts like to pass out their research they occasionally. Do. So they'll either give it to Investors Business Daily or yeah. CNBC or MarketWatch. Um, and then things get passed around the Internet, too. I, right. I, I, I see on StockTwits, I was following a guy the other day. He he had like three different banks. And I'm like, where does he work that he's getting all this bank research? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I want to look for is you can find this breadth and depth of coverage. Like if you have 10 analysts covering a company, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, are they mostly positive, mostly negative? But you want to look for consistency quarter over quarter. What are the what are the consistent themes? It's like, uh, what do the analysts keep saying about this growth story in terms of it being either positive or negative? All right, number seven. I want to hear from the company too, which right. means you have to listen to the conference calls. You have to go on the company website and um, hopefully see some presentations. More and more companies will do presentations yeah. for investors or for their quarterly conference call, and then it's publicly available on the website. And so you can, you know, you can see the same things that the analysts get. The analysts are basing a lot of their reports based off of company presentations. What yeah. does the company, you know, how do they analyze their business? Where's the growth? Where, uh, where are the challenges? Uh, you know, what are the costs? <laughs> what are the opportunities? Do you actually listen to the physical conference call or do you read the transcripts? I do both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, so it depends. If a earnings report is seems really pivotal and there's like, you know, some some sort of uh, binary news, you know, then you're kind of on the edge of your seat. I yeah. got I got to listen to this call because you want to hear the analysts ask the tough questions. Right. 
And then you want to know right away, why is my stock up or down 20% the next day? Yeah. Well, you'll know if you were on the call. Right. Uh, but if you, you could follow up and read a transcript two months later and get good information about it. Yeah. Like I, maybe, maybe you don't own the company. Read the last call. And was there a problem? Was there good stuff? Was there something that somebody missed? Yeah, I feel like if you only have access to the transcript for some reason, or that's the only thing you're finding, mm -hmm. that's that's good. But I do like listening to the actual calls because if you listen to enough of them, you you definitely hear stuff in there that doesn't appear in the transcript because it goes on tone and you know even just like stuff going on in the background or I don't know right. like when oh, someone yeah. interrupts someone. Or like they get angry about a question. None of that can be translated on an actual right. transcript. And here's another nuance is, is there an issue that the that an analyst keeps asking about? Yeah. You know, when they, they say, when, when an analyst goes, I want to go back to right. X and get some more color because, you know, I'm, I'm having a yeah. trouble understanding. I want to, you know, and, and the analysts are doing this not to put the CEO or the CFO on the spot. Right. But because... They've got to go back and do their homework and change their numbers in their estimate model. Yeah. So they need hard answers. So they need to, you know, and, and companies can sometimes only say so much. They're like, right. well, we can only tell you this right now because everything is about forward-looking statements. And yeah. They can get in trouble if they, you know, go too far with w the projections they're right. making. They may, they, they may have like a company line. Yeah. Like, this is what we're saying. And the analysts have to kind of pull, they want to try right. and pull more out of them. Yeah. Like, what do you mean by this? And so if they keep having a problem on the call where they, they keep ganging up and coming back to the same thing, you know that, hey, that's an, a, a problem area that they're having a problem yeah. with. I, I feel like sometimes they also don't want to give out certain information because it would give too much info to their competitors. They see Good that point. a lot Good on the point. retail side. Like they don't want to go into all the super nitty gritty details of their same store sales right. or like where the sales are coming from and certain types of items and all of that. N not surprisingly, because then their competitors are finding out where they're doing well. Right, right. They don't so, want to break everything out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Um, in, in addition, so we're uh, still on number seven here. I'm going to just give a tidbit of a specialty area for me, which is healthcare, because I run a portfolio here at Zach's called Healthcare Innovators. And in terms of looking at the company, there's a special area of information that I have to research. I'll look at medical journals if I can, especially okay. especially if somebody has taken an article like like a, if a scientific website that's for the public can take a journal article and then translate it into English okay. so the rest of us can understand it. Yeah. You know, you'll want to see, hey, is, is this breakthrough science or not? Or is there a problem or not? And then also in healthcare, you have something called the KOLs. And KOL stands for Key Opinion Leader. These are physicians and scientists whose opinions are well-respected in the industry. And when they say yay or nay, it matters for healthcare research, especially for biotech. And then the other thing... Um, I want to look at is what I call big brothers. And those are the large pharma that partner with the small biotech to help them. Okay. All right. Number eight would be institutions. I want to know, I don't, I used to track really closely all the 13 Fs to see what, right. what's being bought We've and sold. We've done all the shows yeah. on that. Um, this is more of a, I, I don't get real quantitative about it like I used to. Right now I'm just, 
I'm, I just try and keep up on it because my question that I'm always trying to answer is I want to know what will the other guy pay? And this is in two ways. What will the fund manager pay to own this company, like an Alibaba or an Align? And, and what might a competitor or somebody who wants to take, take them over, what will they pay? What do they think the valuation is? Um, so that's when you can kind of get an idea of something is, you know, if it's cheap yeah. or dear. Um, you know, this is, I would say the institutional side is the part of the forest that's the hardest to see. Uh, because when a stock goes down on heavy volume, right away you're thinking, oh, the institutions are selling. Right. But for every institution that's selling, there could be one that's buying. So it, it's like, what what is working out over the course, over the long course of things? So of course, uh, we owned Align Technology. I own it again now in Healthcare Innovators, but we owned it from 2017 till the middle of this year, and we made 150% on it. Just because I saw that this is just going to keep going, and yeah. I couldn't believe that that anybody was underestimating it, and the institutions were buying it. So the so the stock more than doubles in in less than a year. Okay. And so we took some gains, and then I got back in. But I mean, the point is, is I I was always asking, what do fund managers think of this stock? Because that's really what matters here. Is because the valuation was getting up there. You're talking 60, 70 times right. for EPS. But it was about the growth story. It was about the franchise. All right, uh, nine to ten, real quick. Uh, nine would be price targets. It's like I, I put this at the bottom of the list because I want it to be the least important. But what are the analyst price targets? Because it gives you an idea of their valuation. You know, if somebody, if a if a stock's trading at fifty bucks and an analyst has a hundred dollar price target, there better be a pretty good reason yeah. that he thinks it's that undervalued. Yeah. And so then I want to go into that. You know, right. is is there is that a good argument or is is this just, you know, some wild speculation? Okay. Uh, and then the last thing is the chart. Um, I don't use the chart as the first thing okay. at any time, even though I used to be this a would be shocking to most even people. though I used to be a heavy technical trader. Yeah. It's now I'm I'm heavily fundamentals. Okay. And I use the chart as a timing opportunity. Okay. Um so and I just gave you ten things here, but I don't need all 10 of them to line up either. Right. You know, that's the art of this. If, if I get four or five good ones, uh, and maybe, maybe the chart is one of them, the chart could beat yeah. out, could beat out institutions. If it's a, if a stock has just dropped uh, 20% on an overreaction to an earnings call and I, and I, and I go back and I look at it and say, that's not warranted. Then yeah. to me, that's an opportunity. Um, you know, especially if it's sort of holding up above, you know, some technical support too. What do you think about number seven? You have listened to conference call, look at presentations, anything else coming from the company. What what happens with foreign companies and number seven? <laughs> because you did mention Alibaba earlier. They're probably one of the ones that actually is giving out a lot of information. But a lot of the foreign companies, even something you might not think about, like I own Sony in the value investor portfolio and that they've been around forever, you know, a huge Japanese company. And we only have two analysts on them and it's nearly impossible to get any information yeah. even out of them. And then a lot of times the conference calls, they may or may not, they're in English sometimes, but it's, they're not as, as like thorough sometimes as the other ones. Yeah. That, and, that can make me shy away. If okay. There's not a lot of analyst coverage and I can't get a lot of information. Um, to me, it's like there's so many other opportunities. Why do I want to go okay. where, where there's low visibility yeah. and it's hard for me to get information? Right. You know, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that answers that. 
you know, this is not about perfection. It's not an algorithm. You know, it's it's subjective. It's Bayesian probability. It's it's the qualitative part that comes after the quantitative part. But I think you want to marry them both and, and have a process that suits you. Because then when I buy something, then I have enough conviction. And right. I, I, you know, and if if the valuation is right and the and I can look at the chart and say, hey, you know what? I think this thing could have 10% downside, but it's got 20 or 30% upside, then that's risk reward I'm willing to take on. Um, the last thing I want to share is more of a, a, a bigger picture thing because I, I just did a podcast on my Mind Over Money where I talked about dopamine. Okay. Dop- <laughs> dopamine is your brain's drug. That's right. That makes you feel good. But yeah. it's much more than that. And it's in and, and what the all the research lately is pointing out is how highly associated it is with memory and learning. Okay. So um because when your when your brain is getting used to certain rewards, it it remembers them and then you learn to do things better. So here's the challenge for investors. If they get too short term, and I did after the crisis in 2008, 2009, I got too short term. I said, forget buy and hold. Let's just do buy and trade. But slow. But then I came to Zach's yeah. in 2011, and I, and I knew I wanted to come here to expand my fundamental education and a- increase my quantitative skills in analyzing companies. And that, then I slowly got back to looking at things more long term, following the institutions. And, and now I've done that. I've tried to do that really well. It got a little tough in 2015 and 2016 during yeah. the earnings recession, right? Yeah. Because everything was telling me, hold this company, do not sell, but stocks were getting beaten down. So even the long-term investors were getting frustrated, right? You know, right. The, the, like I follow guys like David Tepper, yeah. um, uh, Steve Mandel, Mario Gabelli, Dan Loeb, Drucken Miller, used to be partners with Soros, uh, Andreas Halverson of Viking Global um, from Norway. And, and a lot of you big UK investors too. If you, they think long-term, you know, I, I have a one minute video I did on this. If anybody, uh, you know, signs up for one of my services or something, I'll show you, I'll give you the link. You can't even search for it on YouTube, but it's a one minute video where I sum up how to follow the smart money. Okay. In one minute, I, I I'm basically, yeah. And, <laughs> I, and here's the thing, unless you've, unless you've bought a stock and held on to it for a year, two years, three years, five years. And some of our listeners, maybe our younger listeners haven't, right? Or, or they've been scared to, then you don't, your brain doesn't have the rewards that dopamine told you that really worked out good. And oh. so when you, when that happens, then that's how you have the conviction and the courage to hold onto a stock. Even let, let's say you got, let's say you have 50 or 70% gains in a franchise stock, like an Alibaba yeah. or a, or a, Align technology. Oh my gosh, it pulled back 20%. I'm getting scared. I, I you know, I, I got to race for the exit and get my profits. Right. Well, I look at my process and go, no, this is a franchise. I hold this. And once you have the experience of being rewarded for holding something for one year, three years, five years, your brain doesn't know how good that is and that that is the secret to being a successful long-term investor. You could, I could, I could summarize, as, summarize it as how to be Warren Buffett, you know? Right. <laughs> but, but there are many other, there are dozens and dozens of other smaller investors out there doing the same thing with a long-term view. Maybe not forever, but at least they have a view of two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Okay. What do you feel about like the beaten down stocks? Because I agree with most of what you have here is your process. And I follow a lot of it myself, 
but I tend maybe because it's my value bent, I tend to, to be drawn to the beaten down ones, the ones where everybody said they're doomed. You know, they're, they're like not give me, going give me an example. Well, like Etsy. Okay. Uh, um, you know, even just like a year ago, everybody thought Etsy was doomed. Amazon was rolling out their Amazon homemade, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember because it hasn't gone anywhere. But every time Amazon rolls out something, everybody's like, everybody else is doomed. <laughs> so immediately Etsy stock was down. Oh, Amazon's getting into their space. But they did huge changes, got a new CEO, um, new board members. They did have to lay off a huge chunk of people, unfortunately, but they've retooled the company now and they've put into this great program where they are emphasizing their their successes, which is their platform. I mean, whenever I think of, oh, I need to go buy, you know, something artsy, I don't go on Amazon for that. I do go to Etsy. So Etsy still has that. It has the franchise like you were talking about. That's why Mm -hmm. I liked it. It was beaten down. Now shares have doubled off of all these changes. Now, see, I don't know any of this because that's a place where I didn't do the homework. Yeah. You obviously have. And your, your homework is paid off for you. Whereas if I wanted, retail has always been tricky for me and you're, yeah. you're good at retail, <laughs> but to, to me, it it's is. like, I don't know what to do. So right. I just go with Alibaba <laughs> in China and then Amazon. And speaking of Amazon, yeah. you know, uh, almost a year ago, I think when they reported for their third quarter sometime in the fall, it was just right before they reported, it was just under a thousand bucks. Here's an example of a mistake I made. I was going to say, you know what? I should just put 10 or $15,000 into this for one of my portfolios, you know, 10, 15 shares, just 10, 15 shares under a thousand bucks for Amazon. And I didn't do it. And then before you knew it, it was at 1200 bucks. And I was like, man, that was a mistake. But then I turned around and I said, I told people, listen, go out and buy the calls that are like eight months out, go out to next summer of 2018 and buy the 1200 calls for 70 bucks. And those killed it for people. You made like four or five times your money because the stock just roared, you know? So here's an example of if you're going to do homework, then keep doing it on different industries and businesses, but, you know, stay consistent. Like, so, you know, when the opportunities pop up, like, okay, I've been following this company quarter after quarter after quarter. I know what to expect. Is this a buying opportunity now? And and you might even say you can still buy Amazon at 1700 bucks, right? Yeah. We've <laughs> been talking about that. A lot of people are tweeting out today, I don't know if it's the day of, maybe it is their day of their IPO 19 years ago, but suddenly all these charts started appearing. It probably is today. And um, so if you put $10,000 in Amazon on the day of the IPO and you held it all this time, which I always argued nobody has, but let's just say there's somebody sitting out there who never comes forward, but has, it would be worth $9 million today. (laughs) But the more realistic story is you're either not in it yet, or maybe you bought three to five years ago or something, you bought more recent. And, you know, that story hasn't been bad either. I looked at the five-year chart and you're still up almost 500% in that five-year chart. So I always try to remind people, yeah, those charts are fun to look at every time they're on stock twits or Twitter. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, oh, if only I'd won the lottery, but that's kind right. of what that is. But people also don't remember that the stock went down to $7 at one point after the dot-com bust and then didn't do anything for like five years in there and then finally took off. All these things were happening. But 
um, you know, you, you're not limited to what's gone on in the past. There's still a lot left in the tank with most companies yeah. going forward here. And so you should still be evaluating even these companies that have had big runs based on the criteria you were just listing. And there, there's still a lot of buys out there. Yeah. And that's why I tell people, if you don't understand Alibaba's business, then do some homework on it. Because if I, if I could convince you that it is the Amazon of China then you would just buy it automatically. Right. Um, you know, and it may be in a, a softer spot now with earnings estimates coming down and yeah. weakness in the Chinese economy. But this is, this is when you do your homework now right. and then be prepared for the buying opportunity. I'll give you a, one more example of how the, the charts don't always work that great. There's this Elliott Wave team out there who had an analysis this year. Oh, we're going to buy Alibaba when it goes down to 164. And I thought, okay, that's cool. But fundamentally, I was telling my people, if it touches 170, we're buying it. Okay. And it ended up going to 166. And the technical people never bought the stock because it didn't get to their 164 right. level. And I did a video on it. I said, you know, they were pinching pennies at 164 yeah. while gifts from the gods were trading at 166. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for sure. You said that's why you have to have... That's why me, as a fundamental investor, says I say you have to have more than the charts yeah. if you want to succeed as a long-term investor. Yeah. And 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 why would you want to succeed as a long-term investor? Because it creates wealth. Because you might get $9 million. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, another little secret that people might not know about the Zach's rank, I'm revealing this even though we talk about it amongst ourselves here in the offices. If, you, if you're looking for some of these beaten down companies that um, I was talking about, like an Etsy a lot of times those types of scenarios go to Zach's rank number fives, which okay. is a strong sell. Um, we're not saying buy those necessarily as the five, but I found very interesting stories in the number fives. I don't know if this is true for you, Kevin, when you've looked at some of those stocks, but I look at them um, occasionally and I'll come across one, even like Etsy, which I'm, I'm almost positive I did as a bear of the day here at Saks at one point, um, because all this chaos is happening, the layoffs, the new CEO, all mm -hmm. that. But the number five did reveal, because the analysts were cutting their estimates, that's how it gets to the five, that there's problems there. But if you do your homework and dig in a little deeper, you can find companies that maybe six months or a year out longer term than what the Zach's rank covers, they're could be a nice recovery Absolutely, in the business. Yeah. I mean, right now, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because Alibaba has been a rank five yes. because estimates came down. But the thing we need to remind people is the, the Zach's rank is a short-term timing right. tool. It, it tends to concentrate on the 30 to 60 days that wrap around, or 30 to 90 days that wrap around quarterly earnings reports. That's right. So is Alibaba still a franchise? Yes. Are yeah. long-term investors still going to hold it? Yes. But in the short term, you, you need to be cautious. And then what and then what you want to see is what's the trend? Does it turn around and do right. estimates go back up or do they keep going down? And is it going to be a is it going to have a, you know, rank four or five, you know, where estimates are going down? Does it going to repeat that performance next quarter? Because now you may have a new trend. Yeah. Maybe something has changed in the business model that, no, this is not a gross company anymore. Yeah. Um, another thing I like to look at, and it's an, another example of a stock I brought, is Microsoft, which I just bought for my own personal portfolio. I used to own it after the dot-com bust, thinking like, oh, as the share price came down, this is a deal. 
But this was another one like Amazon at the time where you basically (laughs) had a hold for forever. So I didn't. I think I owned it like three to four years before I finally threw in the towel and was like, no, um, I'll go find some other things. But now just what they're doing with the business there. And if you did do your homework on it, um, these are the things I get excited about when I'm trying to pick a stock like they they either develop something or buy another company that's in an area that no one else is in. So when Microsoft announced that they had spent $7.5 billion on that GitHub, which I'd never heard about because I'm not a software coder. Right. I had a look in, well, what's the big deal about GitHub? Because everybody was going all kind of crazy about it. And then the more I looked into it, I was like, wow, this could be like a game-changing acquisition for Microsoft, which is kind of hard to say because they have LinkedIn and various other things that are doing quite well for them right now. But um, yeah, as soon as I saw something like that, where everyone in that industry was like, oh my gosh, it's a huge deal. um, That's when I like to buy a certain company is when something that good is you know what else you got going for you with microsoft is they're taking on google in the schools you know google already has a big beachhead with google classroom and providing all the apps to kids for free and the chromebooks i mean what genius that google was to get to the kids (laughs) while they're young so uh, microsoft is already providing office for free but they just bought a company called flipgrid okay which is a video platform for teachers and students to share content. Okay. And I think that was a huge move for them to get back in there. One more thing about Microsoft. I'll never forget one of my institutional guys who alerted me in 2012 or 13, uh, Steve Ubin, uh, Value Act, small, uh, I mean, a big value manager who concentrates in just like a dozen or 15 stocks. He put um, like $2 billion into Microsoft at like 25, 30 bucks. And it was like he saw incredible value there, and I, I didn't follow him, but yeah. that 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 was a key to thing Definitely. to pay attention to, and you could tell he was looking out. I don't know what his stake is now, but yeah. obviously he's done well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this is a uh, kind of interesting. We are pretty bullish still on these bigger cap tech-ish Fang names. It sounds like franchises. Yeah, these are F- the franchises. Fang isn't see, Fang is not a fad. That's where I disagree with most people. It's not a fad. These are no. real businesses. Right. That are clobber. I mean, they're franchises. They're right. just they're. For sure. There's nothing else like them. Yeah. Um. So should investors? What about the difference between small caps, mids, and the bigs? Should we be? Etsy's on the smaller side. It's not small, but it's like I think it might be a mid cap. I haven't looked lately. But are, are there franchise possibilities with the slightly smaller companies? I, I would think so. I think in in healthcare, I. I look at it that way. Okay. In healthcare, I, sure. I own the CRISPR stocks. They're small. They're, you know, two, $3 billion companies, yeah. but nobody, they're not, there's no pure plays like those. So that's why I own them. Um, and, and the same could be true. You're having new technology all the time. Although the problem is, is that Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and even Facebook are buying the young companies right. even before they can IPO. They're, well, that's they're, GitHub. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're, they're just out there uh, hoovering up all this young, yeah. young technology that we don't even get to see. <laughs> right, right. That is true. Um, but if you do get in one of those that is already public and you get bought out, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, not at all. <laughs> um, okay. And what do you think about Amazon here at these levels? It's hitting new highs. Is 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 it a, still a buy? I mean, long term, yeah. Okay. You know, you. I think you have to own it. Um, okay. If, 
you know, and it all depends on how big is your portfolio, right? How many names do you want to own, and what's your time horizon? Right. It's like, and anybody, when somebody asks me if they should buy something, I'm like, well, what kind of money is this? Is this right? Is this ten year money? Is this twenty year money? And if they tell me something, one year money, exactly. (laughs) If if somebody tells me that something is, oh yeah, this is retirement, this is twenty year money, I'm like, buy that now. Right. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the number of stocks you should own? Well, for some decent diversification, you you can build a long term portfolio with less than twenty stocks. Yeah. You know, less than ten. Well, maybe you're too concentrated then. Yeah. You know, but but it's a little harder. But yeah, twenty to twenty five. You can get obviously a lot of diversification. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we are talking about investing here, right? right. Not, not short-term not swing trading. trading. Yeah. Yes. Which is a different yes. ballgame. Okay. So this has uh, been really helpful because I know a lot of people are, they get kind of paralyzed at where do they start? How do they pick them? Um, and I do feel like the Zach's rank can help a lot in narrowing it down. You know, even if you go with ones, twos, and threes, that narrows it. You're still going to get a lot with if you add the threes yeah, the Z- in there. Zach's rank does a lot of your fundamental homework yeah. right away for you. Boom. You know, is yeah. there earn- are earnings estimates rising? Right. Okay. So let's recap some of the stocks we talked about. We had Align Technology, ALGN, Alibaba, of course, BABA. Microsoft is MSFT. They actually are reporting soon, so you might want to check that conference call out. Yeah. Etsy, E-T-S-Y, and Amazon, A-M-Z-N. And as always, be sure to subscribe so that you get all of our shows every week because we're always giving out stock picks and we're talking about all the topics that you all care about. So be sure to subscribe. We're on SoundCloud under the Market Edge and also on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. So I'll see you again next week with some more stocks.